0: Welcome to the Wealthy Circle podcast, where we take a deeper dive into this year's finalists and winners from our wealthmanagement.com 2020 Industry Awards. These interviews cover the challenges, innovations, and trends in the wealth management industry and the individuals working to help advisors better help their clients.
1: Okay, hey everybody, welcome to the Wealthies podcast. I'm David Armstrong, I'm the editor of wealthmanagement.com. And this is the podcast where we hope to have good conversations with uh, folks in the industry who have won one of our wealthmanagement.com industry awards. And today I'm very happy to have uh, Linda Ding, the head of wealth management product at Laserfiche and uh, Justin Pava, the director of product management at Laserfiche and Laserfiche won the award this year under the technology document management category for the Laserfiche Vault. So that's where we're going to start. Linda, Justin, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, David. For- Absolutely. Yeah, And a thank you, wealthmanagement.com, for the honor of winning for the fifth time for the Best Document Management category for the Industry Award. It's such a great honor for, for us, for Laserfiche, and uh, for the industry as well.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Laserfiche has been perennial winners here uh, at our awards. So uh, we appreciate the participation and uh, you know, the judges recognize what, what you guys are working on and, and, and the value it brings to advisors. Let's start with the vault, uh, with what you won for this year. My question to everyone, when I start these things out, and I don't know if uh, Linda or Justin, one of you want to take it, what problem are you looking to solve for financial advisors here with the Laserfiche vault? What problem do financial advisors have that you're hoping to help solve?
0: Yeah, I can start with that. So Please. Oh, yes. So what we're trying to basically what we set out to do with Laserfish Vault is our primary focus these days is really on Laserfish Cloud SaaS and you know, we've been doing a lot of our developments there and we feel that that really is where most all industries are going, especially when it comes to, you know, the wealth management industry and software as a service. Exactly. Software as a service that is hosted and managed by LaserFish, but also has all been the software itself. The the applications are all innovated and modernized for better performance, security, availability, by being able to take advantage of the fact that we're hosting all of it so we can streamline and optimize everything directly to that. So that's really, I think, our overall goal is to be able to provide a comprehensive uh, cloud SaaS environment to all of our customers and then Laserfish Vault came in on um, providing the specific needs necessary for financial services and wealth management organizations to be able to take advantage of, of basically the, the whole platform, sort of that, that glue to fit in with the specific needs and requirements.
1: Great, great. Linda, anything you want to add to that to, with the Vault in specific, specifically?
2: Yeah, absolutely. As you as you are well aware that uh, wealth management industry is a highly regulated industry, specifically SEC rule 17-4 has been around for many years and in the past, traditionally firms have been using a lot of uh, legacy systems or a warm device to fulfill the archival requirements. But moving forward, as uh, Papa mentioned, that uh, we are committed in utilizing the most advanced technology, helping financial firms, broker dealers, RE firms, moving towards a more of a streamlined and uh, cost efficient ways of handling and meeting SEC requirements. So Laserfish Vault is one of the many steps we're moving towards that goal for the financial services firms.
0: Right. So the the way LaserFist Vault ties in specifically is it basically builds on top of, you know, our already existing extensive records management uh, capabilities and ensures that at each step throughout the entire process, all of the regulation and compliance needs that are, that are relevant for for financial services, for wealth management, like Linda noted, are covered and, and handled f- for organizations so that it's known that, okay, everything's being taken care of. And then it just builds on top of all the capabilities that are already there.
1: Right. So explain to me maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, how this might work in the workflow of an advisor's day-to-day life. And I think maybe where we should go is thinking about the, sort of the typical uh, Laserfiche wealth management client, what that looks like. The, As we all know that these firms are, you know, can be very large and enterprise firms, uh, a lot of moving parts, a lot of touch points. Some of the RIA side, they're a little smaller, uh, maybe all the way down from you know, four or five person shops up to, you know, growing uh, increasingly. For an advisor's day-to-day life, where does this vault kind of work? Is it seamless sort of behind the scenes uh, where they're moving from platform to platform, program to program, sending documents out to clients, doing client meeting uh, notes, sending out some messaging, it's all kind of being collected there in the background. Is that the way it works?
2: Yeah, very much so. Uh, In fact, so when we look at uh, our primary market to serve for, uh, you will see that uh, we cover both the independent uh, shops from just one or two people RE firms, to large enterprise broker dealer firms with more than 2,500 financial advisors. And the reason Mm -hmm. is we purposefully designed the Laserfish Cloud platform so that it's scalable according to the various business needs at different stages. So that being said, the idea you alluded to earlier, you know, Vault is very much the end of the lifecycle management, one of the key components of managing digital records where you cannot make any edits, any modifications um, purely for archival. But there's a whole bunch of uh, complex workflow and processes that need to happen from uh, you know, how you intelligently capture the client information, organize them, secure them into a centralized system records to how you can facilitate the back-end workflow approval review and sign-off so that you can open accounts for clients, as an example. right? So our, our core mission is to design that comprehensive, intelligent approach to managing any business content through your environment from end to end. And Paula can talk to you the specific product aspects related to how we are currently investing in achieving that end-to-end automation operational vision for our financial services firms.
0: Pava? Yeah, thanks, Linda. So, you know, as I as I mentioned, uh, to my mind, it's really about making the entire SAS, LaserFish SaaS platform available to, to organizations and ensuring they're able to use that. And as Linda noted, uh, Vault specifically comes in actually pretty much at the end of the cycle to ensure that after you've done everything you're looking to, and now you're on the concept of, okay, I need to store everything and I need to make sure that I'm storing it all in a compliant manner. And so it builds on top of Laserfish's existing uh, records management capabilities, you know, being able to set retention rules on specific document types and classify those, etc. It makes sure that the manners and, uh, the, and back-end ways that it's being managed is all ensuring that it's compliant for the specific needs of wealth management organizations. I think when to looking to your question of what would be a, you know, maybe a, a day-to-day usage, I think the real focus, uh, in my opinion, would actually be, on some of the process automation capabilities throughout the entire system. So for example, we have uh laser forms, which a lot of organizations use with intake processes or other things along that line where they can create all of the information that they need. And that will indicate, okay, you need these pieces of information. They need to be approved by certain people. It goes through all of our workflow processing. And then it's uh, those—it's the content, the records that are created from that. They really tie in the laserfist vault. But there's some examples of, I think, where that capabilities come into play. For example. We, are, we have uh, AI uh, capture tools, uh, AI uh, leverage capture tools. So what they're able to do is actually read content brought in, say whether that's scanned or imported. Uh, obviously, if it goes through the, you know, the LaserFish Forms portal directly, we already have all the information for it. And we'll intelligently read that and pull out the relevant information from that. And that information then gets placed as metadata alongside the document. So that can be used for easily finding or identifying the document, but then also classifying it exactly for these purposes that we've discussed with vault to ensure that what's, that the content that's been brought in the system knows, okay, it's this type of content. Here's the specific informations on it. Like, you know, the dates, the related organizations, things along those lines. So this is where how it's supposed to be managed for archival purposes. So that's that's just one example. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example, actually. And uh, it probably brings up a wider point about data in general uh, in wealth management firms, but uh, how granular can the meta tags to this, uh, any of these documents be? I mean, is it essentially the the information in the document itself kind of becomes its own meta tag? I mean, are there ways of uh, uh, capturing and collating and, and kind of throwing loops around certain documents? Uh, you know, that uh, how granular can that get? You
0: know what I'm, well, you know what I'm asking? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, all of the metadata information from the content we store a lot of it automatically based on just any type of content, but it's also all configurable for organizational needs. So basically any piece of information that an organization will want to include for these purposes, like I mentioned, of, of identification, classification, retrieval, or kicking off other processes based off of the information in one, oh, we see a type of document came in, that means we have to do a second process based off of that. Uh, that's all configurable on an organizational level. And any of those that are created, workflow processes or these capture processes, can uh, place that all into it, both on a sort of a zone capture scenario, or as I mentioned, the AI leveraged uh, automatic capture as well.
1: So explain to me a little bit more about the AI captured or AI automatic capture. Uh, How does that work? Where does AI come into play here? And and
0: Sure. So when it comes to extracting information for capture and that's really where it comes into play, the idea of, Hey, we've got a piece of content type of document and that part's easy, but you want to be able to get that information out of it to put in the metadata. Like, you know, like I discussed. So where, there's a few ways to do it. If it's a very common it's if, it's if it's a document where everything's always going to be in the same place, Hey, you don't need the AI. You can just indicate, okay, these are capture zones. I know it's always going to be there and uh, I can put it in. And that's great for, for documents that are generated by the organization itself. But in many other cases, you know, certain types of information is always going to be there, but you're not always guaranteed that it's going to be in the same place. And that's where Mm -hmm. the AI technology comes into play where it has to actually read the document, um, read, you know, whatever has been provided to it and say, okay, I know I'm looking for, let's say uh, an account ID. I know I'm looking for various, uh, you know, uh, dollar information, date values, other aspects on this. I know those are values that are there, but I don't know where they are. So what it can do is just read it and say, okay, it's this value because I can judge that based on the information around it in the document based on, you know, standard patterns of these, even if it's not always in the same location. And then, you know, once you have that, then you can use that for all the information, all the, all the ways that we talked about already using that to, determine classification, uh, have keywords in place for either retrieval or maybe lookups into into other systems, like back into uh, a CRM system, for example, to connect that content together, any number of things. But it's it's pulling that, basically taking the data from being unstructured uh, into a structured element that you can then do any sort of processing on.
2: Yeah, and uh, me, go ahead, Linda, yeah. A good analogy to what Pava just described is uh, how iPhone classifies those pictures that you imported or, you know, you have taken uh, using the uh-huh. iPhone, right? So once you take a picture, whether it's a selfie or your favorite animal pets or your your new office, right? You don't have to tell the iPhone what picture you're taking. It's automatically classified. Okay, this is a this is a human head <laughs> versus this is a mm-hmm. secretary. And mm-hmm. uh, so this is a good way to understand how we are going to apply very similar artificial intelligence technology onto reading the type of documents coming through your system, right? Instead of having your secretary or administrator to manually classify, this is a bank statement versus this is a trust document, this is an application form, once we have trained the uh, machine learning AI algorithm, you know uh, well enough, it can identify based on the past, uh, you know, document patterns. We will recommend this is a statement, this is a trust, this is an application form, without the uh, 100% input from your administrator. But so we can finish identifying 80% of those documentation and leave the 20% of more complex document identification uh, to human eyes. So this is is the power in, you know, at the operational level uh, using AI and the machine learning to conduct that 80% manual work so that you can focus on that 20% more of a knowledge-driven type of activities. Could be, you know, servicing your clients, understanding their investment needs, to know, review some of uh, the auditing uh, activities. So that, that is what we are trying to shoot for.
0: And I think Linda brought up a very important point there. And that's when you're dealing with anything involving AI, it's an accelerator to allow you to identify the items that are going to be easy. We know what we want to do in these scenarios, or we have a very high confidence of what's going on here. In fact, anything related to AI—that that word confidence is very important. Anything related to AI always has a confidence level associated with it. So organizations can set thresholds that say, "Look, if it's not ninety-five percent confident, you know, we're going to make sure there's a human review in there." And and so we make the idea is to make sure. Okay. Fundamentally at the end, the most important thing is that everything is got the right data and has been handled in the way it's supposed to be handled. So AI, the AI technology really allows you to focus on those items that really need the special attention. And fast forward the ones, accelerate the ones that don't, that are very straightforward. We know what all this information means. There's there's nothing in, in question about it. That also ties in with processes, how many people you know may need to look at it or, or do something with it. You know, if it's a high cost right, we know what it does. Yeah, we know what needs yeah, to Yeah,
1: I was happen. just gonna ask about the the, the process there, uh, you know, the, the document process workflow. If it doesn't reach one of those uh, thresholds uh, that the company sets for certainty, uh, it does insert it right into the workflow then and it goes to where it needs to go, pops up on the right person's screen to be reviewed, right?
0: Absolutely. And that's a that's a critical component that really needs to play part of, of every AI discussion. And AI is not magic. It seems that way a lot of times, but it's not magic. It's It's internal algorithms that have been trained and based on all of that, can provide an answer with a certain amount of confidence. And it's critical for any organization that makes use of it that you you know set appropriate confidence levels, not because we think it's going to be wrong. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this if we thought it was going to be wrong, but because it's critical that you make use of it for the items that it has learned, it has been trained on, it knows. And then for the other things that you don't want it to just go into the system, because some types of things, it might be something it hasn't seen before. You know, maybe it will get used to it as it goes along, but it maybe hasn't seen it before, or there may be some particular element of it that you know still needs human review. So it's it's very an important element when people talk to AI that they talk to that aspect of it as well. Sorry, when they people think to that aspect as well when they're mm-hmm. looking at AI technologies.
1: Yeah, or maybe they talk to it as well. I mean, it's a well that AI. too. <laughs> Linda, it it brings up this notion of data and, you know, you use the iPhone picture analogy. Are advisory firms making the most use of this kind of data that they can? I mean, I know that for the document workflow management, you know, you bring a whole bunch of solutions, but there's a lot of data in there that advisors could avail themselves of uh, that might help them run better practices. Is that something that uh, you think about or see advisors struggle with or what's your take?
2: Yeah, I I think that that is uh, one of the biggest challenges facing a lot of the firms today. They're not taking advantage of the information that they're having. So one of the primary examples is that we have seen once uh, at the beginning of the year, right, and the pandemic shut down, a lot of firms had to move into remote working, and they have trouble of having a transparent understanding what sort of processes are happening right? They don't have dashboard, they don't have uh, any readily available reporting, but Mm all information, if they set up correctly with the metadata, with the information that they are able to extract from the document, you know, this is uh, pretty much available for them. Um, But, you know, on the contrast, firms have been using those type of metadata and uh, running reports as granular as, okay, let's see how many Uh, What was the AUM that brought to the firm uh, in the last 30 days? And by which advisor, by which region? What are the key bottlenecks of uh, finishing any given onboarding process? And firms who have been uh, mindfully building processes using those type of data are seeing no downtime uh, in terms of moving the entire office in a remote environment. In fact, they're, they're, the operations are not only running smoothly but during the lockdown they are able to spawn off um, m- many more those uh, automated processes to respond to some emergent uh, operational requirements and uh, at the same time having a very good overview and the knowledge about the outcome and identifying further optimization work that need to be done so this is yeah, a and- yeah. Go ahead. Performance uh, we are seeing today between the firms who are using those intelligent data to further enhance their operational performance versus the firms uh, not not doing as much as uh, they should do.
1: Yeah, and for sure. A uh, firm's reliance on the cloud has never been tested like it has been in the past few months, for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess the reason I brought up the size of the firm was because one of the things that strikes me is that as, say, the independent side, as these RA firms grow, uh, assuming they want to grow, processes get put in place early on when they're a small firm. Uh, maybe they get built upon, uh, often very paper-based. They're, you know, they, they they're not doing enterprise-type solutions. They get to a point where. They can benefit from those enterprise type solutions because they're a much larger firm now, multiple stakeholders internally, advisors, junior advisors, frontline uh, uh, customer relations people, investment folks, you know, they become like real businesses. And I think sometimes the principles at these firms wake up and say, whoa, hey, wait, we're a real business now. We need to change things. It, it's difficult for them to do that. They get ingrained in their own way of behavior. Where do you see that switch come where, where, you know, you talk to a lot of advisors out there. Uh, Where do you see that kind of uh, a light go off where it's like, okay, you know, we can no longer just sort of rely on our Outlook inboxes uh, and Excel spreadsheets for running this firm. We need a different solution.
2: Well, unfortunately, David, (laughs) it usually happens when a drastic event happens. Yeah. Uh, It's a wake up call, right? I've seen firms uh, taking a drastic uh, change of uh, leadership, you know, after disaster, like literally a firm uh, was flooded at its basement, all of their client documentations uh, because of a water pipe bust. And then they realized, okay, (laughs) we cannot spend $30,000 on the, you know, freezing all those documentation to preserve those uh, paper files. We have to take... uh, uh, digital ways of revamping how we manage those uh, documentation moving forward and or you know there's uh, there's a moment uh, where the owner of the shop declared that i'm ready to retire <laughs> what are we going to do with that firm and geez, you know business valuation is not going to be optimized if if uh, the advisors are still using very legacy systems and they're still uh using excel sheet to manage the client data Right, and to also they are not being able to reach out to their clients' uh, offsprings easily using the digital tools that expected by the next generation. Uh, I mean, you can see, you know, the survival rate is going to be very low. So usually, in those type of drastic situation, people and owners and uh, chief executive in the position making the critical decision, realizing, okay, we need to really sync up what's happening, right? Of uh, our clientele requirements and uh, the available technology tools out there already for enhancing our business operations. So yeah, so those are the critical moments, but we are trying to do a better job, you know, cause we we realize that to really digitally transform the industry, it really takes a good partnership. It's not just always about the technology tools and the way wheel- mm-hmm in helping all of our 300,000 some RA firms and uh, you know BD firms industry-wide to help them grow in a scale and achieve and realize their potentials. So we invest a lot on the education components, helping advisors and broker-dealers to become more proactively evaluating their digital future. I I, I don't want to run the commercial here, but I do want to point it out that every year we run this uh, marquee event called Empower, where we have over 4,000 global attendees in person. That was in this year. We Mm -hmm. are virtual. So we're expecting even much larger global gathering of technologists, industry practitioners uh, from both IT and the business uh, executives to gather together and figuring out how to automate my operations, how to digitally transform my business, how to leverage you know, some of the smart tools and uh, solutions out there and uh, take advantage of the digital client experience and engagement. And uh, so those are the investments that we're making to help all the financial advisory firms and uh, aspiring leaders to achieve that future vision of running a digital investment business.
1: For sure. Uh, Justin, I've got a question for you This popped into my head. As Linda was talking about uh, firms growing and bringing in younger advisors as older advisors retire, you know, we've seen in surveys that we've done and others have done that uh, for junior advisors looking to join a firm, one of the things that they look for is the technology of the firm that they're looking to perhaps join it's gotta be up to a certain standard. If it's not, that younger advisor probably has less of a desire to work in this place. We've seen this again and time and time again in, in the research. How much time, I know a lot of technology firms spend a lot of time with uh, you know, user interactions and making frictionless user interactions uh, for the consumer. When you're talking about document management or you're talking about the kind of processes and workflows that you're building out, how important is kind of simple user interface internally as well, is that something you guys spend some time thinking about? How do you make this as uh, seamless and easy and intuitive uh, as possible? So a new employee doesn't have to, you know, read a hundred-page manual to figure out, you know, all the, the the workflows that are being asked of him. Is there some sort of a, a internal user interface criteria that you guys try to design to, or how, does it even come into your thinking at all?
0: Oh, yeah, actually, um, that's a great question. It's a major facet. how we develop our items specifically the overall product design and taking into consideration the various types of users you know your junior advisors here the people they're working with taking all that into consideration and that is actually uh we tend to feel that's part of what you know makes us stand apart a little bit is that we really make sure that everything we put in sort of makes sense for where someone would be looking for it or doesn't, you know, is able to get in that people can get in and start digging into things themselves and without having to really learn a lot of what's in the system. Obviously, there's always more and more things that people can find. But, you know, an example here, I spoke to the process automation capabilities there. And one of the things we have emphasized there is a, uh, a no-code, low-code approach to these process automation scenarios. So, for example, the ability to, say, create a forms process or, you know, hook up it to approvals or, or even this, uh, you know, the capture AI tools that I was mentioning earlier are all set up to be just a drag drop layout that people can go in play around with try things out and you don't have to you know it doesn't feel like you're working with a legacy application where everything is hidden behind you know five different menus and you have to find the the right option for it and this is actually something i i would almost say that we probably put Sometimes, depending on the type of feature, uh, more more focus on making sure it presents appropriately to you know the person using it. And you're absolutely right that in in all spaces, especially with the you know junior advisors here that you mentioned, they don't want to spend their time learning items they don't need to or doing busy work that they know systems can handle for them you know they want to focus on what really matters so that's why it's important that they have both the technologies they're expecting and the ability to have it get up and running very simply uh, another example that i think ties in very nicely with this is a new a newer feature of ours that we've put out recently called workflow bots which i don't know if if that's something you're you're familiar with but that uses robotic process automation technology to basically read a screen in front of a user. So the idea there is we found that a lot of times when we were doing automated processes, you know, they could automate most of it, but then there'd always be something, something related to another system or, or something sitting on their computer that they still had to go in and do manually. So the idea with robotic process automation with, with the workflow bots is that it can actually come in and, and act as the user and take care of that that manual bit that that sort of last mile in completing a fully uh, automated process so again people can focus on you know the stuff that that's important not not this busy work thing the reason why i mention uh, workflow bot specifically in this context uh, is that it's actually configured by a recorder someone just downloads the recorder and shows you know basically an example of how they access say a, a different site or a different application. And it records that and then creates the you know, the bot based just on that. So that's an example right there where you have these tools and where people aren't expected to have to, to learn a new, effectively almost a coding language. They can just have it record and it just creates it for them.
1: So it'll record that process or it'll record the way to get to that information and so it only needs to be done once maybe. And the, the, the system will know to pick up you know, that data at that spot by doing it this particular way again and, and that, again and
0: again. That is exactly what it is. So the process itself would be what would be developed in these, these low-code, no-code designers where you would basically map out an intake process or your workflow process. And it would, if there's a point where You would otherwise have to say stop and maybe code into an external integration or, sorry, make it make a code an external integration into an external system. Instead, you can make yours to the workflow bot, which, yeah, exactly as you stated, it will record what you do. So you do it once. And then from that point on, it'll just be part of the process. When the process gets to that, it calls into the calls into the bot it handled the bot handles actually accessing that data and once it has that data it's it's right back into the process and every other you know all the other capabilities that are available there but it's it's the example of that's a place where maybe more more traditionally or legacy you would have to code that in or learn the other application even not just laserfish you may have to learn the other application to code an integration together and the workflow bot basically just sidesteps that entirely
1: it's like having your own little laser fish engineer on your desktop.
0: I mean, that would be uh, that would be the idea, absolutely.
2: <laughs> I think you got it, David. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the reality is uh, that in our industry, there are so many legacy systems, and just building that API or you know lack of SDK, it's just uh, you know building the integration is virtually impossible. And but a lot of the activities is so niche, and also not you know not worthwhile. Of developing that integration. For example, the address change, right? As an example, that that happens all the time and it's important to update in your CRM, in your, you know, all the client related uh, uh, database. But Mm -hmm. there's no API specifically designed for updating addresses. So RPA would be a perfect tool for patching that uh, gap uh, between applications we can use uh, a combination of those intelligent automation tools to alert the advisor or the system there is a a client information change and uh, using the RPA, the bots, to uh, synchronize the data points across multiple systems, right? And so that you can have the confidence, the information you're looking at across multiple applications would always be the most up-to-date and accurate.
1: That's great. That's great. Uh, We're we're running out of time here, but uh, Justin, I did want to ask one more question. What's uh, Gaze into the crystal ball for me. What's next for Laserfiche? What uh, new features are you building out? What uh, can we expect in the future? What's going to be a future WealthManagement.com Industry Award winner coming from Laserfiche?
0: So there's a few things that I'd like to, that I think we're working on right now that would be definitely of interest. So to your, your usability question, actually, your your user, you know, your everything laid out, we're working on continuing to make all the different modules work more closely together. Recently we put out a unified home site in Laserfish Cloud that allows people to go to one place and get all the information they need such as, you know, active active uh, tasks that they have from various processes. But we're 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 expanding that really to make it easier for people to look in and see exactly where any given process is for them either as a say an individual advisor to keep track of their own or as an overall supervisor who wants to see the state of of everything that's going on in the system and this is you know this leverages a lot of the pieces that we've had in place but makes it easier for people to really put them all together uh, to really fit meet that that goal of everything being very streamlined. Most of it is. There's a few bits and pieces that maybe came up from different development pathways. And those are the ones that we're, we're working on uh, putting a lot of effort into really getting that single streamlined interface. Uh, one other thing I want to mention has to do with external collaboration. So we recently released a uh, module known as uh, Direct Share. And it does what sounds like a fairly basic uh, action. It allows you to identify content uh, in the repository and share it out to people to specific to say your specific clients, authenticated manner or restricted manner. And this may seem pretty basic. Well, can't you just send an email? And the idea is, well, yes, but then it's outside of the system. And it's so critical to know what's going on, what's been sent out. Has it been accessed? You know, has someone actually, do you have a record that someone's actually accessed it? And so, that's a, a critical capability, and this is actually something we added earlier this year, but some of our next steps will be expanding this into a larger collaboration portal that people will be able to look to to really have more direct online collaboration, again, in a manner that is secure, stays within the system, and is all tracked and treated appropriately uh, for you know compliance needs. And so that's, that's one of the things we're really looking at right now.
1: Okay. Linda, do yeah. you, uh, any final yeah. thoughts here?
2: Yeah, in summary, I think uh, what we're committed to is seeing the inevitable trend of taking a cloud approach to all the operational environments. And uh, so to that end, the Laserfish is very committed in investing in the technology solutions built in cloud, taking a cloud native approach and really taking advantage of the power, efficiency, security, and the flexibility that Pava just mentioned uh, to meet to all the requirements that we are talking about. And uh, so I think that's uh, a very big differentiator uh, for LaserFish. And we're committing all the, whether it's from a UI design standpoint of view or the backend, the supporting the deployment, the scalability and security standpoint of view, you can expect that. And with whistle that you can also expect more uh, solution package from Laserfish to addressing uh, most complex issues faced by our industry today, including the onboarding. Mm -hmm. Right,
0: every single, you know, those elements, those two elements I talked about and all the other things we're working on are really things we're able to do because we're leveraging this cloud SaaS environment. You know, it doesn't make sense, for example, for organizations to host this content themselves. They, for for external collaboration, they would have to worry about all these security considerations. Mm-hmm. That's not necessary. The ability of everything streamlined into these integrated solutions, like Linda mentioned, that's all doable because everything's under one system put together. So it really all leads to that back to that fundamental, uh, fundamental premise of really leveraging. And enabling uh, these cloud technologies, obviously, the AI components, that's critical for that.
1: All right.
2: So stay tuned, David. We might, yeah, we might, you have so many categories, and so we're we're looking forward to be part of that conversation.
1: (laughs) For sure, for sure. We'll we'll carve one out. This has been great. Justin Pava, Director of Product Management for LaserFish, Linda Ding, Head of Wealth Management at uh, Laserfish, Thanks guys very much for talking to us and congratulations on the award again. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you guys soon.
2: Thank you, David. Really honored to be here.
0: Great to talk with you. This content has been made for information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions represent the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of wealthmanagement.com.